You're tuned in to 101.9 Interstate Live Radio, giving you the news you can use while you cruise. Down the interstate. Down the interstate. Down the interstate. Down the interstate. Yes, yes. Welcome to Interstate Live Radio. My name is Will Walker. I am so excited. I have an amazing guest, someone I have been following for so long, Eric Dillard. Um, He is a producer and writer, um, as well as um, another person we're going to introduce. We're going to introduce Ayana Von Zapp to help you fix your shit. And she's going to talk to you about, Ayana may be able to get on the phone with you and talk to y'all today about a little bit what Ayana does also, but he's another, Ayana's another character um, that um, Eric has put together. I want to introduce him. Now, just to read a slight excerpt of who we are talking to, Eric is a writer and producer of of a very known play in the Atlanta area called FEM, and FEM stands for For Every Man. Now, from the commentary, it says that femme is a glamorously, gagfully gripping one woe man show about the life of a small town church boy with big dreams and even bigger heart. From an aimless start following, um, it's going to be followed by hilarious twists and turns. The writer, Eric Dillard, who we have on the phone today, is going to walk us through unique stages of life as he navigates a hyper-masculine expectations and norms, fully accepting his gift of femininity. And the play is actually in Atlanta right now. Eric is going to give you so many more details about it. Welcome to the phone. Thank you for taking my call today. Eric, are you there? I am here. I am here. Thank you for having me. Oh, Eric, you know, you are by far one of my favorite people <laughs> to watch. Um, and I have been such a far admirer of yours. I am I'm friends with your um with your husband, um, soon to be yeah. husband, Tony. Yeah. Uh, we are 20 year, probably t- close to 20 years of friends. Um, we worked oh, together wow. some time ago. And mm-hmm. I have always been so, so, so engaged with you and your brand. And I've just seen where you're going. And I'm just so glad that you took time out to talk to me today. Oh, it's a pleasure for me. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited about talking with you today, too. <laughs> All right. So let's just get right into it. I mean, tell us about the play. Now, I read the excerpt, and of course, I gave the big, long Broadway introduction, but I want you to give us the nitty gritty. What What is it that you need people to know about this play? Now, I don't want to sound too vague when I say this, but too basic when I say this, but it really is about self-acceptance. And what, what can happen when you do? I think that a lot of times we see, you know, coming-of-age stories and we're able to, you know, watch a person go from, you know, lack to riches or, you know, from from lack to um, abundance, and that's fine. But I think a lot of times we don't see what happens with them afterwards. We um, we see the fairy tale ending, but then what happens once they fully make that choice of what life's like thereafter? And that's kind of what this celebrates. Um, I come from, you know, the Midwest where there was a certain standard of, you know, what it is, what it means to be a man and, um, you know, what, how far you can go if you do want to express yourself, you know, what parameters you have to work within. And it just got to the point to where it felt very stifling. And the more that I um, tried to find other environments to help nurture that, you know, based on what I was told from friends and, you know, social circles, it seemed like it was ever more restricting. And so it finally got to a point with, um, after the, a course of events, that I would say were divinely laid out for me 
that um, I had to really come to grips with, you know, what my truth really was. And it was nothing like anything that I had been told uh, traditionally as a boy growing up or if I dare say more liberally moving to a place like Atlanta. Every Everything that I was ever told did not parallel with the person that it was, that I was designed to become. And so this, this place celebrates that, that you can be, you can be unique, you can be weird, you can be quirky, you can be an oddball, and it has a place in this world. Okay, okay, and you know what, that's, that's insightful, because I don't think after, after just following, like, you, and just looking at the things that you do, and just watching you evolve over the years, um, it has just been evident that you are just not afraid to take the chances. Now, how would you describe your art and your production? Like, how would you describe it? It is a mixture of joy and pain that's splattered with magic. <laughs> splattered? Splattered. <laughs> splattered with magic. Um, I, I have been a, uh, you know, I was born at eight, and so... When I grew up, you know, I watched a lot of Jim Henson, you know, Labyrinth, uh, Dark Crystal, you know, uh, different um, productions that involved a lot of real puppetry and um, not a lot of CGI, not a lot of special effects that were done digitally, but a lot of thought that was taken into the actual craft of putting together sets and things of that nature. And so I always um, found myself, you know, going back and watching these movies over and over and over and over again. And I thought, you know, as I got older that, you know, I would kind of leave that and just stay in a more modern world with just doing, you know, a lot of digital work. But I seem to still draw from a lot of the inspirations of my childhood with what I create now. And so while there's a very strong adult theme that goes through film, there are these um, very endearing and kind of, um, if I could say, comfort food type uh, moments that I create where I pull from our childhood. I pull from those things that you know, made us giddy as kids and those things that made us hopeful and bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. I think that we tell adult stories and still not lose the nature of our inner child and find a way to marry all of that so we can go back and heal those spaces that may have been damaged in our upbringing. Okay, and and you know what? That's, that's something I don't think a lot of people um, engage in. I don't think that they bring their experiences to their transition. Um, and I think that that's something that you have done very, very well. Now I know me personally, I think, yeah, cause I, I see, I have watched, you know, I remember seeing you years ago, just online and seeing you now and the confidence level and just where, how you have grown from, from gone from level to level to level exponentially, almost as if you forced yourself to do it. And I don't think that people, (laughs) (laughs) I don't think that people understand that evolving is a forced is a forced thing you have to force yourself to evolve now I know one thing when I was growing up I was raised by my grandmother and Mm -hmm. my grandmother was one of the most entertaining people I think I ever met in my life and there's so many things I still say to this day and I still kiki to myself about some of the crazy stuff that she would whisper in my ear and say just really (laughs) slick shit that she would say and it was hilarious who would you say was like the biggest inspiration or like your biggest cheerleader coming up? Biggest cheerleader, first and foremost, would be my dad. My dad always, I think he always knew the things that I didn't know about myself that I discovered as I kind of, you know, we'd on the play. There were certain things that I would, you know, confess to my dad as I was growing up that he already had, um, you know, an intuition about or, you know, by just 
being a man that was wise, he knew. Um, he had a way of storytelling, which I believe that I got from him. My dad would, um, he would make up stories. I remember there were many nights, you know, and, instead of just, you know, being um, entranced by a video game or whatever, I used to really enjoy my dad coming to my bedside, and he would make up a story on the spot. And it would have a full plot with characters, and I remember a lot of those stories to this day. And so I think that um, he was the one that really pushed me first to not be afraid of natural inclinations that I have creatively, not be afraid of um, stepping outside of the box and trying something new and uh, not marrying myself to the first idea that comes to my head. He was the one that really pushed me to do that, that most notably, I would say he was always the one. And then of course my mother came right behind that. Um, they're very much a yin and a yang. And so they, they both had their way of pushing me and encouraging me, but I would say dad was the one that really unlocked my mind and said, go there, wherever there is, go. So what did your dad actually do for a living? He was, um, he's retired now, but he was a maintenance technician. He worked in the maintenance department for an insurance company. And wow. forever. And, um, you know, as far back as I can remember, way before I was born, and I remember just along the way, there were certain times when he would tell me that, you know, there were times in his youth when he had the opportunity to, um, you know, kind of go against the grain and do something different. But because of the, the traditional nature of the Midwest, he stayed put. And, you know, he had a family to raise. And so the times were different then. It was very much the baby boomer age. So, um, uh, or industrial age, I would say, with, with him. So with that, I mean, there were just certain risks that he didn't take. And I think that vicariously, in a very healthy way, he was able to realize some of those things that he wished he could have done through me. But working at the insurance company, is, he's done that his whole life. He was a star. <laughs> Why was working there? <laughs> <laughs> I, oh, wow. It's, I was thinking to myself as you were saying that, like, having a dad that works in, like, a general, I call it general jobs. My, my mom uh -huh. was, my grandmother was a teacher, and she was super creative. I had an uncle that was a yeah. janitor that was, like, could could literally work out surgical mathematic problems um wow. and you'd be surprised how people that accept certain positions that don't stimulate them are overly stimulated in other ways yeah oh absolutely i totally believe that i, I definitely would say that my dad was like that my, my mother's job was much more um high intensity she was on her feet all the time you always wanting reports she was a medical technician assistant for a hospital and I remember a lot of, you know, her time coming home, she's very exhausted. Um, the rate of work that she had to work was much different than my dad, who there was a lot more leisure time, I think, in my dad's um, work as opposed to my mother's. Hmm. Okay. Well, you know, we've gotten a little bit of the formalities out of, out of, um, out of the way. But, you All know, right. we're All going right. to take a All break. Right. And I'm going to um, give y'all a little bit, my listening audience and Eric's listening audience, a little bit more information about the FEM stage play. We're going to play the sizzle reel and we will be right back. And when I come back, I think I'm going to talk to Eric about how it is to be this creative and being LGBT in Atlanta and being in a relationship trying to pursue this kind of career. I do not think you want to turn off the radio right now you may want to wait for us to come right back we'll be right back and give me a few minutes <laughs> in order to hold on you have to let go you have to let, you have to let go sometimes in order to find your way you have to get lost 
Sometimes, in order to live, something's gotta die. That music was so sexy, honey. Fam, the stage play. Oh, girl, I just, I just wanted to just play that. I just wanted to play it again, honey. It was so sexy. I was like, "Ooh, Eric." I, listen, we are back, and I just had to give y'all the information on the film stage play. But let me just, let me just give y'all a little kiki. What y'all really did not realize is that, honey, we are going. You need to go to Interstate Live Radio. Um, to the post that I did about Eric because I have put up the sizzle reel honey and Eric <laughs> Eric is giving us how does it feel in the shower honey <laughs> and it goes from how does it feel honey to it's raining men honey to fabulous tromfoolery honey and chiffon down the steps Yes. With the wigs and extravagant makeup, and it really, really makes me feel it in my heart. Now, I can, I can honestly say, Eric, I have never been a man that has been predisposed to want to get in drag or want to get makeup mm-hmm. or or any yeah. of that. But I admire um, anyone that can, and we definitely have to touch on this topic. Anyone that can transition in a way that you have, and I want to clarify to people that are listening, Eric is not transgender, okay? Transitioning, meaning being a regular man, and I want to use the term regular so we can get a visual of this for all the people that are heterosexual that are listening. Being a regular man that you walk up to on the street and he's haircut, no arched out brows, just regular looking guy, and then transform into this glamazon for a stage play in chiffon <laughs> and heels. Um, that transition is epic because it's something that a lot of people don't realize that it's hard to not lose your original self when you take on an additional character. Right. So my biggest thing is when I talk about transitioning and I talk about marrying those two worlds, we definitely got to talk about my amazing, handsome friend, your fiance, Tony, and how it is <laughs> to be in a relationship. And I, I, I knew Tony years and years and years ago. And Tony has always been one of the sweetest people I ever knew. He's so genuine. Yeah. And how is it to be in a relationship with someone that is just so supportive and just there for you and it's just like whatever you're gonna do i'm right behind you i'm supporting you and supporting you in this creative transition like really talk about that i know oh my god you made me think of so many things just then i'm trying to decide where to where to start i'll start here i remember years ago this was oh my god maybe seven years before Tony, and one of my friends told me they were just seeing how you know what i was doing and kind of how i was to create and I remember them telling me they said Eric I really believe for you that when you find the right person that can complement what you do you're going to take off like a rocket I will never forget them saying that to me mm-hmm. and it kind of you know embedded itself in my subconscious and I just kept living and so um, you know when I met Tony I already knew that he was kind I already knew that he was open minded um, before the whole drag element came along 
um, we had all, you know, he had already gotten really to know that I was very eccentric. You know, I like to do different things. But he knew I played with Androgyny a little bit, but, you know, it was never really a big thing. And um, when I first was approached by another producer for another pilot at the time that asked me to do drag, I remember preparing my heart to ask Tony what he thought about it. And it was kind of scary for me because prior to that, you know, other guys that I knew, as soon as they saw anything that even looked like a high heel, they wanted out the door. If they, you know, if you even look like you got some um, some foundation or, or some kabuki uh, powder brush going on somewhere, they, they are not going to call you no more to block your number. And so I had dealt with that, you know, before. And so um, I did not know, because he and Tony had gotten so close, how that would be if I expressed to him, this is an opportunity that I have. How do you feel about it? I knew it was going to be a, a type of a fork in the road where he was either going to be for it or against it. And so I remember asking him, hey, you know, I got this opportunity. They want me to do drag. What do you think? And honestly, the very next thing that came out of his mouth was, well, why aren't we shopping for shoes now? Why are we even talking about this? Like, what size heel do you wear? And it made me wow. stop in my tracks. And I thought it was planned, but he literally pushed me into it and has championed it has never made me feel bad about it. If anything, I'll say a lot of the looks that you all see whenever I'm doing Imani, Van Zapp, my other character, or Melody, a lot of that stuff is, I would say, is edited by Tony, who I also call him Tim Gunn from Project Runway. Because <laughs> 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 you'll, you'll continue in a minute to say, oh, huh, huh, not those two, it's the other ones. And it's, um, it's been fun. It's been fun with him. It's been rewarding that he accepts me, but then it's also been fun that it's an adventure that we're both glad that we're on. And at the end of the day, for us and our truth, we know that we're both men. And that's just our truth and what it is. Uh, and in the words of Ayana Von Zapp, if you need dick, say it. <laughs> <laughs> if you need dick, say it. <laughs> oh my God. The first time you said that, as Ayana, <laughs> do you remember when I cropped that and sent it back to you? Yes, yes, I do. I do. <laughs> do you know that I literally used that as a meme when people would call oh me God. talking about relationships? And I had a friend that called me. <laughs> I had a friend call me and was like, oh, yeah, well, um, I just don't want to date this guy because I'm versatile and I think he's more of a versatile bottom and blah, blah, blah. And I sent him. Ayana. And right. Ayana told him, if you just need dick, say Damn. it. I say, Ayana will heal you, honey, and get you out of that paranoia of being versatile, okay? <laughs> <laughs> you, you know she gonna get you, Will. You keep her calling her Ayana. Her name is Imani. Oh, my goodness. Okay. She I, get you. She, she, she just texted me. Oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm sorry. Correction. Let me give an official correction. And after the break, I'm going to give an official introduction. It is Imani Van Zapp. Imani Van Zapp. Imani Van Zapp. See, you got to correct people about your art, honey. Okay? Because I know... Because you got to correct people about your art, honey, because you are an artist. And I know you are sensitive about your shit. Okay? About my shit. You got to be sensitive about your shit. (laughs) Now, speaking of being an artist... You know, I have engaged in a few conversations with people that are in the LGBT community and there's a big conflict. And the conflict not only is one of the things you mentioned, especially, and this is a, I think this is a black gay thing. I don't think this is a white gay thing. Um, in the black gay community, especially because we can attest to it because I am LGBT, 
LGBT identifying. I'm a black gay man, very proud of it. Um, yeah. And I have seen the stigma that is attached to drag, that is attached yeah. to being artistic. And I don't think that they see it as being creative. I think they see it as being overly feminine and they can't separate the drag from the person. Right. And on top of that, the one thing I really want you to address, because I have my own beliefs, I want to hear it from you as a person that's in the industry. What are your religious beliefs on all of this, whether it's drag, whether it's LGBT, whether it's like people that identify cisgender, transgender, what are your mm-hmm. re- religious beliefs? Okay. Which one do you want me to do first? The, the stigma or the belief? You know what? Start with the stigma and transition me to the belief. Okay. All right, guys, they're both wonderful questions. I'll address the stigma first. Um, and I love that you brought this up because I do think that it, that it, it is a powerful reality that we have to deal with on a cultural level. And that is that when it comes down to um, drag or when it comes down to, you know, expressing yourself in any type of feminine nature, you'll find that almost any culture outside of black culture, they they have fun with it. it. It doesn't mean that it's indicative that you're any less than a man that you do that. There are many straight men that will do it. And they'll they'll get in drag every once in a while. It's, it's fun for them and they do it and they go home. They throw out their families. There's, it's not even a hanky-panky thing. It's just, they just do that and they're done with it. There is such um, an, an added pressure to being black and what it means to be a black male um, that is a problem in a hetero uh, sense as well as in a, a homosexual sense or, or any other sense to where um, up until recently it always has been looked at as a stigma it's been looked at as negative it's been looked at as having a mental deficiency if you um, are a person who is a black male and you find part of your joy in expressing yourself in feminine nature or with feminine adornment and that was something that you know when I moved to Atlanta that was a, that was a lot of it it was anybody that stepped out with a little bit too much makeup if your uh, fabric was flowing a little bit too much, everyone made fun of you. You were ostracized. Um, I watched people become ostracized. I watched people kind of try to um, corral me into the norm that was acceptable by, you know, warning me about being ostracized if I were to go too far. And it started to bother me. And so it finally just, again, through just the course of experiences, I finally got to the point where life just pushed me in that direction. And as you were saying earlier, um, it was like a forcing of, of sorts to where it was like, this is who you're supposed to be. And the more that I rested in that, the more that I became comfortable in, I want a taller heel. I want to wear a lash now. I want to do this. I want to do that. And I think um, if I could address one more thing, as you said, I think a lot of it is there's this hyper sense of uh, femininity that comes with it to where it, it becomes a big caricature. And I think that that's what a lot of people are bothered by a lot of times. That um, it's one thing to, you know, wear the heels and the lashes and the chiffon, but then when you have to become so grandiose, and not to tell anyone how to act, but there are a lot of people that they they wear their clothes, they let, they let their clothes wear down. All of a sudden, it's, yes, honey, yes, and they don't know how to communicate any other way. Right. And I think one thing that's been different for me is I've been able to express myself fashionably the way that I am. And to be honest with you, I think a lot more people have noticed that I'm not as feminine as they thought that I was the more that I wear my heels and my lashes, which <laughs> even I didn't notice that. So people told me, they said, you are just a guy that just likes to do this. And when people began to see that and were able to separate me from my art and, uh, and you know, vice versa, combine them, I believe I began to 
gain more of an understanding for my community. So that that's the, the stigma part. Um, the religious part you were asking about, this was, this has been a very long road because I, I had a, a bit of a torrid past when it came down to my upbringing in religion. I was raised apostolic, and um, I had really good days that were in it, but there were a lot of bad days, too, that, that were in straight, straight, direct conflict with my truth um, on a sexual orientation level all the way up to a sexual expression level. Um, when I stayed in Japan, I think that that was the season that really kind of got me together. I was told by so many years, you know, anybody that ain't Christian, they go to hell and they're horrible people. And when I got to Japan, they were some of the most loving people. I talked about it in, in film. They were some of the most loving people that I had ever met. They embraced me for who I was. They were the ones that kind of like slapped me left and right and said, listen, child, you gay, honey. Just, you, just, you just accept it and just go on and just put you on a dress and just whatever you want to do. <laughs> That's just who you are. And so um, I would say I had to state a category or an affiliation. Upon my research, I would say I'm more Amish, which is basically having a love and a respect for many different religions. Um, I don't subscribe to Christianity solely anymore. I have a respect for it, and I pull from it those things that inspire me and that help me to grow as an individual. But if I had to, you know, put an umbrella over myself for the sake of conversation, it would definitely be more of an Amish nature, where I just, re- you know, respect many different religions for many different reasons. Wow. And you know what? One thing that I think was very, very insightful that you said, especially about the religious side, is that you pull from it the things that inspire you. And I often say that to people that I am. I was a worship leader in the church, in the Kojic church Mm -hmm. for 10 years. Oh, wow. Um, And if anyone knows the church, they'll know what a high worship leader. I was a high worship leader, which is the top below a minister. Um, Yeah. Oh, yeah. And the one thing I learned more than anything is that a relationship with God is a relationship with God, not with people's mm-hmm. version of God. Exactly. And I, I think that pulling from the things of Christianity that are beautiful will engage you and mm-hmm. keep you stable. And I always tell people if, if being a Christian makes you a better person, I think you should be a Christian. Absolutely. Um, if that's what you need to give you some kind of groundwork, then you should do that. Yeah. yeah. Um, now, you touched on something that I said that I was going to ask you because I kind of heard it. Uh-oh. But <laughs> what I, say? What I say? was told <laughs> that you speak a Japanese. Uh, I speak a Japanese. Hi. Now, I, I thought I heard you say it. I thought I heard you say you can't get your feet done. It's going to be 30 minutes. But can you tell me <laughs> <coughs> what exactly did you say? Cultures, that's what it translates as. Certain cultures, yeah. <laughs> oh, God. So what did you just say in Japanese? Oh, God. What did I just say? Uh, basically, it's, it would be, hi, uh, hi, how are you doing? Let, let's have a good interaction. On the guy, Shimon. Let's have a good interaction. My name is Eric Dillard, and I speak Japanese. <laughs> oh, wow. So, question. How long did you live in Japan? Off and on for eight years. Oh my gosh. Now, you know, I am, yeah. you know, um, that I live in Cancun and my husband's Mexican. Um, yeah. and, and we live in Cancun and I am having the hardest time picking up Spanish. Really? How, you know what? Probably be just because I'm, I'm spoiled and I'm an American. Yeah. And uh-huh. it's kind of like a, I don't have to learn nothing kind of thing. 
But mm-hmm. um, how would you, for people that are wanting for wanting to start another language, like was that hard to learn Japanese? Because that's even harder than Spanish. It's, um, I'm going to say it's probably a little bit harder than Spanish because of uh, a few things. The, con- the conjugations of verbs are, is different as well as grammatical sentence structure. So they reverse a lot of things. And so basically, where we speak very forward, forwardly in English, um, or if you're talking in Spanish, they may uh, swap the adjective for the noun, things of like that. You know, anybody that's into linguistics, this will uh, probably something you like. When, when you're dealing with Japanese, the entire sentence structure changes. And so you throw verbs on the end of a sentence. And so instead of saying, I went to the store, you would basically be saying a sentence that would say, I to the store went. Mm. And so that was hard at first when I started learning Japanese. I was trying to learn it, but I was trying to learn it with, a, with an English grammatical structure. And so a lot of people didn't know what I was talking about because I was trying to learn it in a way that was best for me. What helped me was basically making friends and they would hang out with me. And, and to be honest with you, it started with a lot of dirty jokes. They would tell me dirty jokes and I was like, oh, okay. And, it, and that really helped me to relax the um, scholastic way of learning Japanese. Because I use like Rosetta Stone and all of that. And I'll be honest with you, Rosetta Stone got me started, which was good, but it teaches you the most formal way of a language, which is not the the common use. And so once you start making friends and just hanging out, not having a reason to learn it, they'll teach you a word here or there. And after a while, before you know it, you're speaking full sentences. And it got to the point for me after a while, I had learned so much Japanese, they stopped having a translator in the room with me. They let me teach it by myself. Wow. Yeah, it was cool. Well, you know, I, I think that that explains a lot for me um, when it comes to you, because I have seen some of the transition. I don't even know whether you know whether <laughs> it's subliminal or not, or whether it's subconscious, but you have a very oriental painting style at times. You paint a lot of extra angles and it's very beautiful. And I've seen it on, I can't remember the girl on Drag Race that does it, but you you paint a lot more angles now than you did before. When I've seen you do tutorials, I've seen you, I've like snapped on and saw you on Facebook Live or whatever. And you'll be doing like doing your makeup, getting ready for a show or something. And you paint a lot more angles now. So I'm like, hmm, that's inspired by something. So, you know, I see everything now. about it that way. Yeah. Yeah. Go back and look. You know, you'd be surprised what you see. Now, yeah, I never, I never thought about that. Cool. Of <laughs> course, Eric um, hinted to me, to anyone that, that is just now tuning in, Eric Eric hinted to me that one of his favorite songs is called Roller Coasters by Tank and the Bangers. I'm yeah. going to go to break for just a minute and I want you to hear one of Eric's favorite songs, but do not leave because when we come back, I'm going to ask Eric to tell us what's coming up next, what you can expect from him, and maybe even a few more intriguing questions that I I'm have not ready, even t- that I have not told him about, but um, oh. stay tuned, stay locked. <laughs> this is Will Walker on 101.9 Interstate Live Radio. I have Eric Dillon in the house from the yeah. stage play Femme for Every Man going on right now in Atlanta. When we come back, remember, he's going to give you the dates, what's sold out, what's not sold out, where you can catch the play, where you can find him, etc., etc., etc. In the meantime, I need you to sit back and listen to one of Eric's favorite songs, Roller Coaster by Tank and the Bangers. We'll be back.
always been the girl that wondered why people rode those really big roller coasters. Why the feeling of throwing up brought about some type of excitement that they did not receive on the most regular day. But when did feeling sick become equivalent to the thrill? Is nausea really the new X-pill? My gosh, I've always wondered why people rode those big roller coasters. And I remember when I did. stage play. Tickets on sale now. 
Oh my God! And we are back. Ooh! Every time I hear that, hear that, hear that song, I just be like, sometimes changes. Sometimes you have to get lost to be fine. Yes, honey. It, and and in the words of Eric Dillard, honey, if you need, if you need it, great. Oh gosh! Now listen, I definitely got to touch on this very briefly because I definitely know we want the most. We wanted to talk about femme. Um, the one-person stage play, which I have heard from some of the hardest critics in Atlanta, that this play was wow. nothing less of a, than amazing. So, you know, I asked around before I called you for an interview because I was like, oh, I want to see what it's about. But everybody said this was going to be epic. Um, wow. God, I, Thank you. I definitely want you to tell everyone the show dates, what's going on, where they can find you. Just give us the, the rundown on how they can get in touch with you about the tickets that are remaining. And I heard that it was yes. so good that they extended it. Yes. And gave yes. you three more yes. three more dates. So please talk about that. Let yes. us know where we can um, direct yeah. everyone to come and see it in Atlanta. Absolutely. Well, I'll start with this. So make sure I don't forget it. If you want to find me online, my um, all of my Instagram is the same. It's Eric Dillard. That's E-R-I-K. D-I-L-L-A-R-D Eric Diller. that's all of my Instagram um, the other character we were talking about that I think you may meet in a minute is Imani Van Zapp I-M-A-N-I Van Zapp V-A-N-Z-A-P Imani Van Zapp um, as far as the play and she and it's kind of a good segue to that too Imani actually is one of the features in the play um, there's a, a, a very small section where I do a short film and she's part of that short film um, the play itself is, um, uh, you see, we premiered it on the 11th. We had six dates. I did seven shows within those six dates, and all of them sold out. And so uh, the producers at the Playhouse, where we are, Good Acting Studio in Marietta, they uh, basically gave me an offer and said, you know, well, we love what has happened. We really think that we can push for another weekend. Would you be willing to do an extension of about three more dates? And, of course, I said, yes, this is what I love to do. So we did that. And as a result of that, we're starting to get more traction now from other areas within the U.S. So it's going to start you know, going to other states and cities and all that kind of thing. So I'm really excited about that. Mm. Uh, the dates that are coming up here right now are the 25th, 26th, and 27th, which is this weekend. The 27th, which is Sunday, is sold out. So the only two dates that are available right now are Friday the 25th and Saturday the 26th. Most shows start at 8 p.m. The doors open at 7 it is at Good Acting Studio, Ros- uh, 507 Roswell Street in Marietta. And to obtain tickets, you would go to For Every Man, which is what the acronym FEM stands for, foreveryman.bpt.me. And that's BPT for brown paper ticket. So once again, it's foreveryman.bpt.me. The tickets are going very fast now. Um, we actually had a sale one today where we have dropped the ticket prices for uh, $5 for wow. everyone just to give like, you know, one little boost because we're just so excited about how things are going. They're going to go back up to the original price on tomorrow of $25, but today you can get them for 20 So go on out there and get your ticket. Okay. But um, it's a play that you will enjoy. It's, it's fun. You're going to laugh. You're going to cry. You're going to be mad. You're going to be uncomfortable. You're going to feel redeemed. You're going to feel hopeful. Um, I think you want an array of emotions all the way from very wholesome to like the most grimy you could think of and back again. So come out and, and kick it with us. <laughs> so 
now that we've gotten the logistics out of the way, everybody, I'm letting y'all know, go get your tickets. You do not want to miss this play. Everyone that I told, um, uh, uh, everyone that told me about this play that when they go see it, they said it was amazing. Um, it, um, I just want to know briefly, what can we expect, Eric, after FAM? Like, after FAM, what's next? Um, definitely a thought boy. As far as Astro is concerned, uh, we are prepared for the tour now. And so um, you'll be able to enjoy them in, in a, you know, a city near you uh, or a theater near you, whatever city you're in. So we're taking it on the road. Those dates should be released right around the uh, middle of February when we'll be announcing the tour dates for film. Um, two other things that I'm going on right now, um, as we were talking about earlier, there's a character that I, well, I don't even like to call her character, my, my, my new auntie, Imani Van Zapp. Yes. Uh, your shit. She is um, featured right now on a wonderful show that's getting ready to come out that is being um, uh, pitched to different networks right now called Makeup Wars. She is one of the judges on Makeup Wars. And uh, she basically is, a, uh, I would say, a self-help coach. And she stocks it to you raw and tells you what's up. Um, she talked to me raw in the play film. You'll see that. <laughs> but um, she has her appearance coming up on Makeup Wars and then also her uh, sorry, Instagram channel, which you can check out her work as well. And then outside of that, there's one more thing I'm working on right now. It is a series, um, a dramatic series that I'm going to be pushing online called The Silent Sanctuary. Uh, my one-liner for it that I've been you know, using with respect to the production I'm going to reference, it is like green leaf on steroids. Mm. And that is going to be coming, yeah. So it's, uh, it, it, and that again has a lot of autobiographical nature in it as well, too. But that's been my one minor. It, it's green leaf just on steroids. <laughs> okay. Well, you know what? I am so excited for everything that's going on. I'm going to be in Atlanta a lot more um, once, yeah. the we- once the weather breaks. Because, you know, I am oh. a, I'm a Caribbean guy. I love the heat. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> So yeah, it's it's a mess. I was there for one day and it was it was team too much for me. Um so I am so glad. Again, this is Eric Dillard that I have in the house of Fem the Stage Play. He is also Imani Van Zop. And he is also a writer and director. You are on 101.9 Interstate Live Radio um with Will Walker. I am so glad to have him in here. I'm gonna let him go, but the one thing that I wanna ask you. Especially if you can give me a two-minute sermonette <laughs> to the person who is listening right now that thinks that they can't do what you're doing right now that's coming behind you that is having, in their eyes, probably an identity crisis, but in our eyes, it's an awakening. Oh, I felt the spirit right there. Mm-hmm. See, it's an awakening hey, hey, hey. when you look at it. <laughs> But from the outside, it could look like a spiritual crisis. To that person that's listening, what would you say to them? I would say, firstly, that the, the real you, for most of us, is going to start out as the smallest voice in your head. There's a voice that's going to speak to you. And you know what that voice is. I don't even have to tell you. You don't even have to ask anybody. You can write it down on a piece of paper, put it in your purse or in your wallet, and always know what that voice is telling you. For me, the voice was, Eric, you know you want to be a writer, director, and that's what—that's all you want to do. You don't want to teach music. It's not that it's bad, but that's not who you are. Whatever that little voice is telling you, uh, if it's, you, know, you need to bake cookies or you need to start your own auto care service, whatever that voice is telling you, listen to that voice, and I would say write it down somewhere. Put it, put it somewhere safe. 
and and allow life to pull you towards it because you may not be ready then. There's going to be a lot of things you're going to go through before you realize, yeah, I can do it. And that's okay. Take your time, but be steady with it. Um, continue to learn. Continue to have conversations with those that are where you want to be and to ask them about what their paths were like. Your, your path is going to be very different, but it, it helps to know that someone has crossed a finish line that is very similar to you. And don't be afraid to do the one thing that no one else is. Um, a, a very, very quick story. I remember when I was a child and, and I was in um, kindergarten and we were doing this exercise where the teachers wanted us to walk around on, on the floor, but we couldn't, you know, walk around traditionally. We had to be like a crab or something like that. The teacher that um, was looking at me and I wasn't doing the exercise, they punished me because they thought that I wasn't being cooperative. What they didn't know was I was racing in my mind trying to figure out how to do it my own way. And they didn't know how to find that out of me as a child. Take time to find out how to do it your own way. Don't let anyone rush you or shame you in, in finding your own way to go about life. You can do it. And as I say in the play, and I'll leave this as my last thought, always know this. And you just heard it in, in the promo. Sometimes in order to hold on, you got to let go. Sometimes in order to find your way, you got to get lost. And most importantly, sometimes in order to truly live, something's got to die. Let life happen. It'll be the best thing you've ever done. Oh my God! Thank you so much. Oh, that's inspiring. I'm. I definitely want to catch the, the the remake and the and the revamp of the play when I'm in Atlanta. I'm going yes. to leave you all with one of Eric's other favorite tracks. It is called "Optimistic" by Sounds of Blackness. Just remember, we love you. Love yourself. Treat people right. You are on 101.9 Interstate Live Radio. My name is Will Walker. I got who on the line? And we just want to remind you to love yourself. And um, in the words of RuPaul, don't fuck it up. (laughs) We love you. Bye, guys. You're tuned in to 101.9 Interstate Live Radio.